hadn't really taken into account sort of some of the cultural differences being a sort of a female Western person arriving and, um, you know, there's a little bit of a sort of macho alpha male culture. So, you know, it was, it was quite difficult because, you know, there were some characters who were the ones, you know, who were sort of on the defensive the moment I arrived. My name is Nia Weinsweek and I am more than just a vet. Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know what's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals. My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. travel bug and took some opportunities <laughs> yeah that's good that's good so 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 tell me a little bit more about you so when how did you end up there i mean you you welsh and then you end up in the opposite part of the world um working in conservation i, I believe and, and studying as well so could you tell me a little bit how a welsh vet qualifies in edinburgh and then end, ends up in new zealand 10 years later <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll try and do the shorter version. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can make it shorter. Guess... You can you can be as as long as oh, you want, okay. but I'll make it shorter later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I was going to be a farm vet in uh-huh. West Wales forever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess I couldn't have been any more wrong. Okay. Um, but yeah, I guess my first few years in practice were kind of challenging. Um, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I guess a lot of people have similar experience, maybe. Yes. The reality, learning to adapt to the realities of the real world when you're sort of sent out to this lovely, pretty picture of what vetting might be. Yeah. I think the expectations were maybe not quite matching the reality. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I was not so lucky with my first few jobs or getting much support and landed up deciding that I would work for myself and locum. And instead of giving so much of me to work for other people, then yeah. I would just make it work for me instead. Um, so, yeah, I guess I just thought, oh, wait, I can do whatever I want now. This yeah. is kind of nice. <laughs> um, when, you, so, when you were working in, like, 
at the beginning? Was it clinical farm vet only or was it mixed? Or? Um, I spent the first five months doing just farm work. Yeah. And yeah, in hindsight, it was a good choice for me. But, you know, hindsight's great. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> and it was interesting. It was very rural. And I just had this like naive idea that I could bring something new and modern thinking to a very old fashioned practice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was being naive. And what I really needed was somewhere a bit more forward thinking and supportive. Yeah. Um, and maybe they wanted to provide support. I'm not sure, but the clients were wonderful. They were really, really lovely, I see. Um, which made it okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned a lot yeah. doing that. Uh, yeah, I guess I just had to learn to stand on my own feet very quickly. And yeah, I had to learn to be honest when I didn't know anything. I just had to say, yeah. Because there was a lot of things I didn't know. So it was yeah, well, a good uh, lesson in that. It's pretty useful. Uh, uh, um, like everyone, you, you come from university and they, the university is saying, well, you know, you get learning the job in the, on the ground and then the, the private business says, oh, no, you should know everything from university. <laughs> and then they blame each other and then you're in the middle. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there were, you know, other things and reasons, but I moved to somewhere else that was a little more sort of modern and had a lot more sort of young vets working yeah. there. So I had a better group of people around me and that was much better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that didn't last very long because yeah. I was kept on for the busy summer season and then let go. Yeah. Just before six months. So there was nothing I could do about it. Yes. Uh, well, so and, and after that? Um, what happened? After that, I was gutted. Like, yeah. I was pretty broken. I don't know how much of this I want you to put out there. Oh, but, don't worry. Uh, we, yeah, like, like I, say, I mean, you, you can you imagine. You've, yeah. I thought I'd found the kind of place that I'd always dreamt of working. It's a mixed practice with a bunch of young vets and yeah. pretty supportive. And yeah, I think. Yeah, and then I was told, oh, we can't afford to keep you on. No, we're really sorry. We've never done this before, but we're going to yeah. let you go. And then I found out I was not the only young vet that they'd done this to. Yeah. So take on a new grad, use them to do your TB testing through the summertime, and yeah. then go, oh, bye. Thanks. Yes, it looks like you, you were disappointed. Uh, by, um, yeah, by I was broken. Like, yeah. I had a cold place to live. I had a you know, a community, yeah. a bunch of friends, a little yeah. house that I really liked. And they were like, ah, and like, no warning. I thought I was going to a self, I thought I was going to like a, a progress meeting or whatever, just a standard six months chat. And, and then it was out the little self-assessment form and they were just like, okay, bye. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's move on from that. Because you have more yeah. problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, what happened next? Um, yeah, so then I took another job sort of further away, like far away from there because I was really annoyed at the time. Yeah. And like Maybe I should have stayed so I could keep my community and just find another job. But, yeah. You know, well, you, I you was know, angry. I moved away as well. You know, I, I got to the UK for yeah. time. So it, it's not like I stayed in the, in the same place. I didn't like go that. as far as that. Yeah. <laughs> I went up to uh, Lancashire. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and just continued sort of 
learning and developing, I guess. It was a quite a different yeah, different environment, but yeah. still like it was better. Uh, there was a good crew of younger vets. Um that yes. I think so we supported each other very well. Yeah. The support from elsewhere was varied. But I yeah. think I think it kind of meant well, but we're not really sure how to support yeah. better. Um and yeah, we worked crazy hours and yeah. were pretty exhausted and the usual, I guess, newish grad thing. Unfortunately, it was just a bit of a culture of this at that time. Anyway, there were so many new grads that if one burned out, you could just get another one. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know, I, that's I, what I, it was. Yes, <laughs> a, a, a lot of veterinary practice were like that. They they yeah. they get a new graduate and they graduate may move away. They get another one when. Sometimes what they needed is an experienced person to stay there and try to train the others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and I remember, yeah, it was interesting because we had a group of younger vets and we got together and we're like, okay, instead of complaining, we'll come up with a list of small changes that we could suggest making that would make yeah. a big difference to us. We'll try yeah. and be constructive about it. Yeah. And And it just, it got handed to the people and nothing changed and nothing changed yes nothing at all so i think yeah none of that group of people who made that list stayed for a lot stayed yeah. very long after that this is, this is now encouraged i'm not saying that yeah i think place, but... things are changing i do keep yeah. hearing more positive stories i just think it's a shame that at that time it wasn't so great wasn't. but yeah. you know that's that's what happens and like so yeah. I decided to work for myself because I'd had enough. Um, and yeah, and I locums to save money, basically, yeah. to go traveling. Because I'd always said, oh, I'm going to do that thing where you go off for a whole year and go traveling. And, yes. you know, when you're, if you're locuming, taking free accommodation with the jobs or yes. crashing at my brother's place when I was near there <laughs> or like choosing jobs that were like reachable from home. And just yes. being like, you know, running my limited company and being like, oh, yes, I have expenses. I paid rent to my brother. What year, <laughs> what, what year was this? Uh, before they changed, the, before they made it more difficult to have your little yes. unprofitable yes. limited company. Was it about 2012? Mm, no, it was, it was 2014, like maybe? 2014. That's when I stopped logging. I used to logging around oh, yeah. that area. That, too, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> And then suddenly you thought, oh, I'm going to go to New Zealand. Uh, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, it was like, right, I'm going to do that thing where you go and travel all around the world for yes. a long time. I've saved the yes. money. I'm going. And a friend of mine was working in Australia and she said, do you uh -huh. want to come skiing in Japan? So, wow. Yeah. So I said, okay. And I said, well, if I get as far away as Japan, then I'm not going to just go straight home. So this will be it. I'll go and do that thing where I travel around for a long time. Yes. Um, so we skied in Japan for a week and my friend went yes. back to Australia to work. And then I traveled some more in Japan by myself for a week, which was not long enough. It's amazing. I'd love to go back. Um, wow. And then I went to Nepal. And yes. spend a few months there. Um, a few months I'd, in Nepal. Yeah, <laughs> I. Um, You're brave. Oh yeah, I loved it. Nepal is amazing. Um, wow. I um, did some volunteering at the beginning, because um, okay. before that, when I travelled before, I'd often sort of 
arrange some volunteer opportunity and then use that as a way to kind of find my feet in a new country when I'm by myself and get to know some people and how things work and, um, you know, and then go traveling afterwards. So I I started like that, I guess. Okay, so you found the you found the volunteering um job when you were in Nepal already? Uh no, I contacted them before I went. Okay, and why Nepal? Um oh, because because I love climbing in the mountains and because the it's, it's the dream, right? <laughs> um right? but I also went um I went once before that. Um, in between, I was in between jobs and I'd asked for an extra yeah. month before I started the next job. And I just sort of, I, yeah. um, had been sort of moping around a bit and just trying to decide what to do. And then I think my mum brought out a catalogue which said, you could go on a hiking trip to Nepal. You've always wanted to see Everest. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Wow. So I, I went. Um, and I loved it and had a great time, but it was a, you know, pre-organized kind of tour, which was, you know, a very small group, but, you know, we went on a um, two-week trek and I yeah. decided I had to go back, but do it my own way uh, yeah. what, what, later. What, what was the volunteering job about? What, what did you do? Well, um, it's, it was a charity that was um, neutering um, street dogs in Kathmandu and tre- uh-huh. vaccinating them for rabies and treating sort of injuries oh, wow. and incidents and things. So. I, I'm guessing that was quite difficult, not, not a lot of stuff around to work with. Like, Yeah, it was an interesting experience. I think um, I hadn't really taken into account sort of some of the cultural differences being a sort of a female Western person arriving and um you know there's a little bit of a sort of macho alpha male culture so you know it was it was quite difficult because you know there were some characters who were the ones you know who were sort of on the defensive the moment I arrived and I was like okay, <laughs> I really want to help but oh, okay I'm a man and a woman can do my job yeah so um but I found things that I could do that were that would cause less of an issue and then another <laughs> vet from the UK arrived a couple of weeks later and we sort of worked together to improve some of their inpatient care because that wasn't seen as glamorous or macho so but it actually made a really big difference because we were like well that dog's had a dressing on for like four days has anyone looked at it and they're like uh and so we you know got a sort of someone someone put a bandage around a dog leg and then leave it there just someone else will find out about it in a few days, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, they were doing what they could, um, but it, it was sort of the culture was in, you know, in that in that particular um, charity was like kind of around certain characters who thought that surgery was way more cool than anything else. So, oh, I see. Yeah, but I know there are organisations that are functioning a bit better than that in um, in Nepal now. I think, but yeah, you know, it was just what it was at the time and yes. I felt like it made some difference but Good. um you know I think it was a learning experience for me as well in how to yeah. approach different places and people and you know we learned how to deal with 
you know, one day you're like, oh, there's no electricity this morning or there's no hot water. We're going to do, you know, we're going to figure out what we can do with what we've got right now and sort of shuffle around your tasks to work around things yeah. like that. We, um, we have so much for granted in the UK, you know. You, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you go to work and then everything, you know, there is like a light, yeah, electricity. If there is, yeah. The other day, computers went off. Everyone panicked. Me too. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know. I would as well. <laughs> yes. A client came, needed a vaccination. What a vaccination does a client need? Did you bring the car? No. No. Oh, my God. I, I, can't, I can't vaccinate your dog. Oh, my God. This is, I can't make it another day. This, this is not good enough. I'm, I'm not very happy about this. Oof. Just dealing with simple things, simple first world country problems. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right. it's pretty funny. Well, you know, next time you could say, well, at least we have electricity and water today. <laughs> yeah, at least, yeah, I agree. Okay, so so you finish in Nepal and then, do you do you go to the top? Do you go to Everest? Um, Not not to the top of Everest, no, but... Can, can um, you go to the top of Everest? Do people go to the top of Everest? Or... Yeah, yeah, yes. but then, yeah, well, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I got a friend who... Um, who went round there as well, and then she came yeah. back, and and then she she she, she was ill with um, with dengue. Um, oh, so, that's really unlucky. Yes, yes, yes. And, yeah. um, she, she, she's fine now. She's a, yeah. she's a really nice friend as well. Oh. Um, okay, so what happened after after Nepal? Um, yeah, so Nepal kind of continued a little bit after the volunteering finished. Uh -huh. There was lots of trekking and exploring and climbing and. Um, yeah, um, and a trip to the sort of Everest area um, to go hiking and climbing, um, or potentially climbing, but that got stopped by, um, I was there when the, sort of in the Everest area when they had the big earthquake in 2016, maybe? Um, I see. But yeah, so that, that was just another thing that came out of Nepal. I don't know if that's of any interest, wow. though, but... Yeah, so it took us a while to get back to the city and eventually leave Nepal after that. But yeah, it was uh, another experience. Um, yeah, so and after Nepal, I went traveling around Asia by myself mostly for a while. And like all through my travels, I had friends come and visit me whenever I was for like shorter periods when they could get time off. So that was pretty cool. Um, so did, 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 did you work in, a, in Asia uh, as a vet at any point? No, I just travelled after that. Yes. Um, I decided that I didn't need to be working as a vet while I was yeah. exploring. Yeah. I was like, wait, I, I don't need to do this. I'm just going to go explore and see what happens and do a lot of adventure sports instead and learn to drive a scooter, go scuba diving. All the yeah. things that were on the list. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, back to this again. So, yeah. so you you travel through Asia to do things in your bucket list because it's the time to do it, which I completely agree. Um, and, and what happened next? Um, I'm trying to get to New Zealand, but I don't want to miss. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, after a lot of exploring, lots of adventure sports and fun times and looking at wildlife, I was running out of money and landed in Australia. 
Um, yeah. And I did some locum work in Australia and kind of used it to travel around. So I spent a month uh-huh. near Melbourne, traveled a bit around there, and then a month near Sydney, explored there. And ex- well, went to Canberra for a month, which hadn't really been planned, but it was fun. Um, and then went and saw the Barrier Reef and went scuba diving some more. And yeah. I, you know, by then I had a little bit of money again. And I thought, oh, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. So I booked a flight and came to New Zealand. Okay. And then you came to New Zealand only to see it first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at that point, my cousin lived here. So I visited him and then I, um, <clears throat> spent three months hiking and hitchhiking all over the South yes. Island. Um, yes. and by the end of the three months, I thought, oh, this place is pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Really? Like the yes. scope for adventure is sort of endless. Um, yes. and, Before I left, I was sort of emailing a few locum agencies and some people and just like getting an idea. But I, you know, I had some things planned at home and hadn't been home for a year and a bit at that point. So I went home for a few months. Yes. And caught up with friends and family and did some more locuming and was sat, I think I was locuming in Scotland and it was the middle of summer and it was about 12 degrees and really gray. And I remember looking at the weather forecast for Christchurch in New Zealand in the middle of winter, and it was like, oh, 12 degrees, but sunny, like, and it's winter. As <laughs> I yes. say, I booked the flight back and got I a see. working holiday visa and came back. Okay. Did you did you get that holiday working holiday visa from the UK? Yeah. Yes, the working holiday visa. Um, I got it uh, in the UK before I left. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, um, and is that the job you've been doing now? Um, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, it, it sounds so chaotic when I look back. It's a bit crazy. <laughs> it's, it's not chaotic. I mean, it's, you you try to find to find your fit, and some people take yeah. two months, and then they're in the same place until they retire. Yeah. Other people take a bit longer. Yeah, other people take 10 years. (laughs) I think I'm getting there now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so I came over and I I locum to begin with because with the working holiday visa, that's pretty easy to do. And then I I thought, well, I'll locum until I find somewhere I think I could stay for long enough to get a residency visa. Uh-huh. Um, because I thought, oh, I like this place enough that I never want to be kicked out at short notice or yeah. it's, you know, somewhere I'd quite like to spend some time without being dependent on a job to get to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to be able to leave if you want or take time out. Um, yeah. Especially if you like adventuring as much as I do, I guess. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I found a job that meant that I could stay for a year doing maternity cover to get a residency visa. Yes. Um, but, yeah, and then after that, I yeah, I was getting a bit tired of vetting, really. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe part of that is the non-settledness, or maybe I was just, I don't know, maybe the non-settled moving around is because I still hadn't really found somewhere where I was wanting to stay. I don't really know, but I... 
took time out to go and and worked in a hostel in a national park in the mountains um which was great yeah that's when I started listening to podcasts actually um (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's actually so great to have a job where you can listen to podcasts while you work it's amazing brilliant yeah it's so good (laughs) (laughs) so when when let, let me just Go back just a little bit. So yeah, when you cool. came back to the, you first came to New Zealand with your working visa. Which year was this? Twenty twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, I think so. Yes, around yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and you applied for a visa because you want to go to New Zealand and work there, uh, and you find a local job there. Is was it a clinic working job or? Uh, farm work job or uh, clinic work? so yeah by this point I was only doing small animal work small animals yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and, and it's quite it's found it I found it easier to sort of balance sort of life outside of work with smallies work so yeah and it was yeah, easier uh, to find course. short locums and bounce around and yes. after a little while I guess I got quite lucky I landed in the right place at the right time and yeah sort of based myself in Christchurch and worked for um, a corporate that owned a lot of clinics around the area. So I just covered sometimes short notice, sometimes a bit more in advance sort of blocks of work at any clinic within sort of 45 minutes of home. And that worked pretty well for a while. And then one of those needed someone for a bit longer. And so I stayed long enough to get the visa I wanted. Is, is it similar work that you do in the UK in Smallies? Yeah, it's really similar. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of things are really similar in New Zealand. I think the biggest things to change were maybe like vaccine protocols, um, yeah. you know, drug brands, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, licensing slightly different, but nothing, nothing major. And I think because yeah. I locum so much in the UK as well, I was pretty used to just kind of walking in somewhere and cracking um, on. Yeah. Because yeah. like most of the skills are exactly the same. It doesn't matter where you are. And yeah. I always, I like, I laugh and say to like people who ask, oh, but you move around every, you know, different clinics, it must be so hard. But I was like, well, you know, if you go into someone's house, you've never been there before and you look for the cutlery drawer. Like, it's always the in the same place. But, always, like, <laughs> you know, even when you go into the kitchen, you, maybe it's going to take you, like, two attempts and you're going to find the cutlery drawer. Like, all the clinics yes. are the same. There's only so many different ways you can organize the same things. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good tip. Yes. That's what I, you know, how I came to see it. And I don't know, you yes. just be nice to people and they look after you, I guess, as well. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Okay, so... Now, this is just closer now to where you work now. Are we, yeah. are we there now yet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And where you've been working now is, uh, you, you send me an email that says, well, in my job, it's just like any other job. I get um, someone pick me in a helicopter uh, and then I go to work in a yeah. isolated mountain. Is that right? Yeah, so that was my job for three months this summer, uh, this Kiwi summer. Um, yes. So that was a conservation job. Um, So I, yeah, that was working for a program that's trying to protect the few remaining um, of a species, a bird species. Um, Uh They're the 
southern New Zealand dotterel. There's very, very few yes. of them left. Um, and the aim is to try to reduce the predators, which introduce predators in the area um, to try to protect them and to keep track of their numbers and their sort of nesting successes and failures. So what do you what do you actually do? I mean, a, a normal day is not a normal day. A normal week, I guess, is that they knock at the door and the, the helicopter is in your house, right, in, <laughs> next to you. Uh, and then someone says, come in, and then you just get into the helicopter and then they leave you in your workplace. It's not, like that, is it? not quite. <laughs> That sounds great, though. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It makes it sound so much easier. <laughs> so, how, how is it then? So, yeah, so that job, it was kind of the schedule work kind of 10 days on, four days off. And, like, uh -huh. the first and last of the 10 days is prepping and packing for the trip and then unpacking all your gear. So, it's um, making sure you've got the food that you were, we'd order food in at the end of the last trip and then sort oh, so it into... When, when you go to this place, there is a, there is a Tesco's uh, no. next door where you can just shop and get whatever you want to eat, right? No. So the base was on an island that has one small shop that's a bit like, I don't know, your local spa. Uh-huh. Yeah, so like a little one. So we'd order from the mainland from a big supermarket. <laughs> Um, yes. food for three people for a week, a week, or ah. eight days. Um, yes. and when that arrives, we sort of organize it to make sure the right food is going with the right person because we'd be split between two huts. Yes, yes. And, um, and then packing gear and all the equipment that you need and batteries and safety things and communication devices, you know, like radios, GPS. Um, that sort of thing, and making sure everything's packed safely to go onto the helicopter. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we'd get put our stuff on the helicopter and get flown maybe 20, 25 minutes to the field sites. And so there were three of us split between two locations. So you'd either be, then there were two of us who were in one hut and the other one, and then one that went between the two. And uh -huh. later in the season, we did a bit more swapping around just to change it up a bit. Um, so you'd either be dropped off with your buddy or by yourself, and then the helicopter goes away. Um, and then that's where you are, and you're in like um, a hut. So the, the, this is a different island from the one you live. This is smaller island, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So it's a smaller island um, just off the south of. New Zealand, so it's called Stewart Island. And um, it's an hour on a ferry from the mainland. Yes. Is there like cities in the island or like a <laughs> town or, or are there cars? There's a small town yes. of about 400 people. I see. So there are um, cars. 400 people, there'll be a car or two. There are cars, but there's only like 25 kilometers of road on the island. And a okay, lot of so that is kind of travel <laughs> roads, so there are I cars. See. But it's the kind of place where people will like leave their keys in the car and you can borrow it anytime. Yeah, because put it back you, <laughs> everybody knows each other, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so, it's someone exactly who did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was interesting, but um, it was a good experience. But 
Can you get to the from the hood to the to the town? Uh, can you walk? Or is that too far? Or is it too? Um, it would take three days. Oh, to, wow! Okay, in the same yeah. island from the hood yes. to where the people are. So the island's quite big. I don't know what size it would compare to. But it's quite. We should have figured that out. Should have known you'd ask that. <laughs> um, but. Um, like I think it's something like eighty or eighty-five percent of the island is national park. I see. So I see. it's sort of huge wilderness area, and getting around between different parts of the island, the walking is fairly challenging. Is quite sort of quite boggy <laughs> a lot of the time, and sort of dense forest. And ah. um, and so to get to where we were working, it's either three days of pretty tough walking or. Um, a boat ride when on the high tide and then like another sort of maybe two thirds of a day of walking. Yes. So when you get there, obviously the helicopter leaves you very close to the hut, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. And and there are three huts, did you say, or two huts? Two. Two. And can you walk between them? Yes. That was about yeah. three hours walk between them. Ah, I see. So sometimes you see each other. Yes. Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but like it's amazing. Like it sounds crazy, just but sometimes just being dropped off by yourself with your food and just left all by yourself is quite nice. No, it doesn't like, sound crazy. It is it's crazy. Kind of great. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> like wave off the helicopter and be like, oh, cool. I'm home in my little hut with you know no electricity and <laughs> but nice view. Oh, yeah, you don't have electricity. No. No, we had generators, petrol generators, I but I used, you know, we use them as little as possible, really. But um, yes, make sure you, you charge you energy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we charge those for use those to charge batteries for like the electronic equipment mainly. Do Do you have to communicate to make sure you're right every day? Yes. Yeah. Um. So we use radios, so VHF handheld radios. And we'd call yeah. down to the base and we had a set time we had to call in. Um, if we were two people together, then we'd just call in in the morning. If you were by yourself, you'd call in in the morning and the evening um, as well. So it's pretty good sort of yeah. connection. And then, and then you're in your hut and then you decide to organize your day, right? And during the day, you, you go out and say, well, now I'm going to have a look at birds. Um, sort of. <laughs> um, but but our... you know, what, what, so... is it? What, what do I have to do? Explain it to me. I'm, I'm gonna do the job tomorrow. Tomorrow, oh, that's what I'm right. gonna do. The helicopter <laughs> is going to pick me up in the UK, it's gonna leave me in Stuart Island in the hut. <laughs> I am never uh, been in there before. And they, you just tell me, Look, you're gonna be looking at these birds. Um, by the way, there is no electricity. Forget about um, Sky or or anything like that. You're not going to be watching TV or anything like that. It's going to be pretty pretty isolating. Uh, and your main job is to make sure you don't die. That's first. Yeah, uh, that takes and, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> and, and second, look at the bird. Um, so w what do I have to do? Okay, so hopefully someone has organized your equipment for you and you've got all the warm things and the good boots and the waterproofs you're going to need. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but maybe maybe you could have made sure that you brought some good books with you. Um, yeah. Because 
Yeah. And so the main focus when we were up there was actually on trying the trapping of the predators, the invasive, in, introduced invasive predators, so many different words for the same thing. Yes. Um, so, you know, our main part of the day would be going out and setting and checking traps. Um, yes. and, at, you know, in between times or on particularly good weather days, um, and the, then we would also be sort of keeping an eye on the birds or where they were known nest locations. We'd be checking yes. on them and setting up trail cams and checking they're working okay. And yeah. so I say trail camera cams, but like trail cameras that will pick up, ah. take photos every time something passes. Um, yes. Or they can be set up to take videos and things as well. And, uh, and you, you have to monitor those, make sure they work and put them in the right locations, right? And then take yeah. account of yeah. them. Wow. Yeah. That, that sounds really interesting, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty fun. Um, it's, it was an interesting project because I think, yeah, they're trying to find new methods and new things they can do to try to help protect these birds because they're not doing as well as they might have hoped. Um, yeah. But it's a very challenging place to work and the sort of behavior of the birds is quite would make them quite difficult to manage in different ways or um, but it, that's a, a work in progress i think so we just did the best the, we could this summer the, the, this this these predators they they use they are they not native in in the island someone went and introduced them is that what happened yeah um so that's kind of the interesting thing about new zealand and i guess partly why i've kind of got more into conservation since being here even though I've always been interested but um so New Zealand's only native mammals are two species of bats oh, is it yeah oh, wow. that is it so it used to be like an island full of birds and some people I'm guessing some people as well um yeah know. people arrived eventually um but before yes. that it was um just two species of bats, bats and birds okay. and some really interesting insects and yes. um so it's quite yeah it's quite different because the birds have all evolved without land-based predators so their yes. only predators are were um birds of prey so they're hunting them from above so a lot of the birds here are nocturnal some a lot of them are flightless um and they're often very, very well camouflaged if you're looking from above. Yes. But so their behaviors are not, not really adapted to mammalian predators. Um, but when, so when people first came to the islands, um, <clears throat> so that it would have been when Maori people first arrived and I can't remember what date that would have been. And I don't want to say the wrong one. Um, <laughs> um, but they brought dogs and uh, Pacific or Polynesian rats, and yes. that sort of started. And they did hunt birds as well. Uh, but yes. the bigger damage probably really arrived when Europeans arrived, and ship rats and Norway rats arrived with them, and they um, also brought rabbits and. Then they were like, oh, there's too many rabbits. So they brought in stoats and possums got brought in for fur trade. And there were these groups that wanted to make 
New Zealand kind of like a hunter's paradise because I guess coming from Europe, hunting is only something people with land do and rich people do. So they wanted it to be somewhere where that could be for everyone, which is a really nice thought in a way, but it meant there were all these groups that wanted to bring in different species for hunting. And they, they, I mean, the ones that are still here, the main ones would be deer and feral pigs. Um that got brought in for hunting, but they tried bringing, oh, and wallabies, they brought those too. <laughs> I don't really know why. Um, but all sorts of things got introduced here, you, just to make it feel like home, like hedgehogs, bumblebees, um, wasps arrived, and they all seem like really small things, but when they arrive somewhere where they've never been, they cause like just a huge difference in the ecosystem. It's amazing. Yeah, so everything is a little bit out of balance. Um, yes. And so conservation here is quite focused on trying to remove introduced species. Um, because the, you know, the bird numbers are just, it's, it's pretty horrifying when you look at the numbers actually. Um, and this, you know, the number of species that are already long extinct, the ones that are sort of in the hundreds left. Yeah. Um, Lots in the thousands. Um, it's it's pretty sad. Um, and now there are islands, sort of really small islands that are maintained, um, sort of predator and pest free. And where some of those species, they only live on those islands now. Some of the native species because they can't yeah. survive anywhere else. Um, and um, yeah, so it's very interesting. Um, but sad at the same time that there's a lot of work going into trying to improve that. Yes. Um, yes. And sort of, and I think, yeah, now there's a lot of, sort of a lot more sort of community interest in in conservation than I've ever noticed in the UK. Like, it might have changed since I left, to be fair. But um, it's, yeah, I think maybe because it's all happening on your doorstep right now, it's just... You know, and it's in the media a lot, so it's something a lot of people are aware of here. And there's a lot of community projects to try and sort of remove predators from the backyard, um, and big drives from city councils to try and protect their areas and slowly get rid of. Um, I mean, there's a big, a big sort of ambitious project to try and remove. Um, you you mentioned cats as well in your in your email. Yeah, so that's like quite a more controversial topic, I guess. Um, Why? The, the, the I mean, as well at the end of the day. It shouldn't be, but it is. And like we all, you know, we all know pet cats and have had pet cats, and yeah. I like cats as well as pets. I think they, you know, they make great pets. They're awesome, but. They, you know, the big problem here is with feral cats. Um, yeah. That um, it's amazing how far up into even up into the alpine areas that they go. It's it's incredible how far they've gotten, and um, and they, yeah, they hunt birds and skinks and geckos. That and a lot of those animals that they are hunting are endemic to here. They only live here. They've never lived anywhere else. Um, yeah. And once they're gone, they're gone. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the problem with cats. They're very versatile, so they can yeah. predate anywhere. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty tough. I, I can I can see that. I can see that. 
Yeah. So, yeah, the biggest threats facing the birds that we were trying to look after this summer um, is cats, is feral cats. But unfortunately, they're they're very, very difficult to manage because they're really smart and they learn and they teach their offspring. So they teach them, so you change something a few years later, maybe even less than that, really, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's And they thing. know how to go around it. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's a really challenging project, and I guess I don't really envy the people who have to make the decisions um, yeah. on what happens next, but it was, um, for me, I guess, it was, uh, you know, a good learning experience, and it was a good sort of summer job. Um, you are now going to study. Yeah. So I, I'm i studying for a master's in ecology, um, oh. and I'm sort of part of the way through that now, and it was just over the summer hol- university, summer holidays here that I was working on the island. Um, so we start back tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. Monday. Yeah, it's still Saturday. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'm studying ecology and sort of focusing on disease ecology and parasitology. Um, and I'm going to be looking at um, parasites in sea lions. Yes. Um, because... Oh. Um, <laughs> there is a reason, but um, a few years ago, so three, three years ago now, yeah, 2019, um, I went to work on a subantarctic island monitoring sea lions um, yes. for another conservation field job, um, and I spent six weeks um, with a small team next, camped out next to a sea lion colony, um, counting pups and adults as well, um, and tagging the pups. So they use tags a bit like, kind of a bit like, I guess like sheep ear tags, um, on the flippers of the pups, um, so that they can track them and, um, see how they're doing. Um, and monitor the population. That's the, what we were doing. Um, and yeah, that was like a crazy experience, basically. But, um, <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and you know, that's like an even more remote island. It's kind of, that was three and a half days by boat from the mainland. So it was a little bit <laughs> the other one. Um, and yeah, we spent two months on that island, you know, focusing on the sea lions, but this, it's also home to all these other incredible animals as well. It's crazy. And that's in an in, in island close to, to, to Antarctica? Um, it's about, I think it's about a third of the way between New Zealand and Antarctica. I see, I see. Obviously, the sea lions now, they, they get the sea lions get to, to New Zealand as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then so, you, you studied them and said studied the parasites in New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so when I got back from that trip and I saw there were sort of, you know, there's quite regular news articles saying, oh, um, you know, a farmer found his heifers gathered around something in the barn and it was a sea lion. Um, and I think, oh, you know, that's quite interesting. But I think, 
you know, the way my brain works, I just said, oh, imagine all the things that could go between those cattle and those sea lions that are an endangered species. And maybe what could even come back the other way. And it's, you know, I, that's the way I see things. I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, and um, so the sea lions used to live all over the South Island of New Zealand until they were hunted, until they were only remaining on those subantarctic islands. Um, but they're starting to come back here um, now in the mainland. Um, but it's, you know, quite challenging sort of balancing these like big um these big animals coming to live sometimes really close to people. Um yeah. and there's no sort of social memory of living with sea lions. Everything is new. Um yeah. so it's pretty interesting. And there's a population that lives next to Dunedin, which is where I'm living now and studying. Um, and like the nearest sea lions that live on a beach two kilometers from my house. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And sometimes, you know, they'll, they've interrupted kids' football matches and they'll be hanging around at the bottom of the cliffs where people go climbing and just having a look. Um, yeah. and there was one, there's one that was hiding her, you know, when they have their pups, they, and once they get to a certain age, they sort of hide them somewhere in the forest. Um, and leave them somewhere cozy and safe and go out fishing and come back later to feed them. And there was one that was using a little spot of forest on a golf course. Um, and she's even been seen sort of sunbathing in a bunker on the golf course in the sand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'll follow surfers around and catch waves next to the surfers too. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so that, that is I, interesting. Have we got a picture of that of that one? No. Um, I can send you a link to a video of a sea lion with surfers if you like. On a golf course. Um, have I got. I haven't got a photo of her on the golf course. I'll try yeah. and find. Okay. <laughs> what you do send it? We'll put it in the in the website. Yeah. The link, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I just think it's really interesting that you've got sea lions sharing beaches with people, pet yeah. dogs. And yes. They're living in areas that are, you know, maybe affected by pollution from urban, you know, living just from people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, and they're meeting cattle and livestock in areas a bit further out of town. Um, and just, the, you know, there are a lot of interesting sort of pathogens and parasites that could pass between them um yeah. so i just you know want to find out what they have at the moment and whether any of those things are suspicious and if we find anything exciting i can try and find out where it's come from yeah brilliant brilliant that's that's, that's really interesting um i'm going to move forward a little bit a bit yeah. more right <laughs> um so like, like i said before there is there is a lot you you, you talk to me about but there is a couple of two things I want to talk to you about. Well, no, three, oh, maybe four. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna be here forever. Um, so, um, I was going to talk to you about isolation, but I think I think you already talked through that about isolation to do with being in the hut and that, and then we passed that. We now in back in New Zealand, aren't we? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So the, the next the next thing um, I was going to talk to you was 
and it's to do with isolation is it's actually to do with whales because you miss whales and you like to be i mean you like skiing mountaineering um, and going up mountains i mean the, the biggest thing we got in wales is now um and any any mountain uh, in anywhere else is like three or four times that's that that size isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean there are different things uh, you know different things that make a mountain exciting to visit and climb i guess um, like, like like having a train going to the top oh yeah that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can definitely say i've never gone up on the train <laughs> well i can't i gone down in it yeah. <laughs> For everyone who doesn't know this, there is a train going all the way to to the top of Nodon in in Wales. <laughs> um, so, um, what do you most miss of the Welsh culture? Not not of the British culture. I mean, yeah, we in the UK and that. But you know, I, I talk to people in in Spain and they say, oh, "You're in England." And when I was in Scotland, they, "You're in England." And <laughs> you're in in Wales. Are you in England? No. <laughs> no, it's not England. It's the UK, but it's not England. So, what what do you most miss of of the Welsh culture? Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, I miss people, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that would be the same for anywhere. Um, I suppose. Um, but I mean. I think I found myself living in the city in New Zealand that's most like home. Yeah, I <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, the weather is fairly similar, maybe a little bit warmer in the summer though. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think where I am now reminds me of Swansea a lot. Um, okay. Which is kind of funny. It's nice. It's named after Edinburgh, but it's more like Swansea to me. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> So what do I miss? So I guess I'm trying to find, I'm finding some of the things I miss by being where I am. It's very yes. friendly. It's like a small city and it's yes. very friendly. It's the kind of place where you can go into a shop and have a chat with someone or you have a chat on the street and they don't think you're crazy for chatting to them. Um, <laughs> so that reminds me of home. Um, when yes. people are chatty and maybe a little bit nosy, but in a good way. <laughs> what about the language? You know? Yeah. You, you speak Welsh, I guess. Yes, yeah, I do. Um, so, yeah, that's, I do miss hearing that. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, sometimes I watch Welsh TV on demand when I find oh, it's see. a good series. <laughs> I'll watch the box set when it comes out. I think yeah. it's only available like internationally, maybe six months or a year after it shows in the UK. But sometimes yeah. I do that. And I got a few books for Christmas this year actually so that was quite exciting and they right. <laughs> um yeah and food is do you miss because some one of the things i ask people is what do you was was you having for dinner tonight which you already had dinner because it was, yeah. it's, it's quite late or you can answer what's the best welsh food that you like or what's the best kiwi food that you like I mean you have a choice <laughs> yeah um are oh, the best food at home the first thing I always ask for if I'm visiting um is fresh fish 
Uh, my favourite is um, Siwin, or the like sea trouts that live in the estuaries in Wales. Um, that is my favourite thing. My favourite food okay. in Wales. But that's not what you have for dinner. To, what you have for dinner in 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 New Zealand? <laughs> Definitely not. No. <laughs> How is food different in New Zealand? Is it a lot of difference? Or, you know, because... Yeah, it's different. It's not that. It, it's sort of similar to like British food in a way. It's not yeah. the most exciting, but some things are good. I think yeah. if you find local produce and done well, it's really good. I think maybe what I miss is maybe a little more variety. Um, yeah. And like European food is less available, but this you can find all sorts of different Asian foods here, um, which is interesting. But like it's you know, I guess because of geographically where we are. Geographically. So it's yeah. So I don't know. It's pretty hard to find really good pizza sometimes. (laughs) Pizza, brilliant. Yeah, like really good quality pizza. But Wellington yes. has some good places in Christchurch too, but it hasn't made it down here yet. <laughs> um, but if you want really good Asian food, there's plenty and plenty more choice. Um, I think one of the, I guess the challenging thing having, you know, lived, grown up in the UK is like the cost of food is pretty high. Um, I see. I guess, you know, that also comes from being a tiny remote island where a lot of things yeah. are imported or, you know, if they're grown things, you know, it's quite... So, yeah, food prices are pretty expensive, but you kind of learn to work yeah. around it, and you land up eating more seasonally, which maybe it's good for you. Yeah, um, which is probably good. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like all winter I won't be eating any mm. avocados because I won't be able to afford them, but, you know. <laughs> um, but then when summer comes around, it's really exciting because then they're really cheap because they grow on the North Island. So. You know, it's a treat then when they come back. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing it's more it's healthier to to do it that way. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> just two more things I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, one of them is pretty funny, and it's just a single question because I asked all the question about the fridge and the giraffe. Hi. Um, but because I asked all the question, all, all question to everybody, uh, then I'm gonna ask you two questions. The second you don't know about. Oh no! So, <laughs> because I'm sure you prepared this. I did think about it. <laughs> yes. So, how do you put a giraffe in a fridge? Well, I've decided that the fridge is one of those really big, like walk-in catering ones, and oh, it's I see. a baby giraffe. And I yes. put it in like a cozy jacket and put something really yummy in the corner of the walk-in fridge, so that it wants to go in. That's brilliant, and nobody has said this one. And I think that's quite interesting because yes, if it's a walk-in fridge and uh, the giraffe is warm and there is food inside, then, then that's the best way to do it. So you're not gonna push the <laughs> giraffe or anything like that. You're actually gonna make it go. Yeah. Which so far everyone is pushing the giraffe in, and you know you're gonna <laughs> let it go. You're gonna you're gonna create an environment where the giraffe wants to walk in. Yes. Brilliant. Nobody <laughs> said that yet. That's 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 thinking outside the box. I quite like that. The, the 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 second thing is, well, would you rather fight a hundred dog-sized 
horses or one horse-sized dog? Can I be really annoying and ask yes. what kind of dogs are we comparing the size of the small horses to? I mean a dog, not not a dog, not a oh, a duck. dog. A sorry. Duck. Yes. Oh, so it's my it's my English. Oh no, sorry. Do you, um, do you imagine a, a a duck of the size of a horse? I don't know. You want to fight that? No. Or would you rather a hundred of them? But you know, the horse. I think I'll go for the little, little ones, the hundred. The hundred ones. Hundred ones. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I just find some people prefer the big one. Okay. Yeah, I can't. A big duck. I remember. I've. <laughs> oh no! It's a, I guess I've been quite frightened by geese before. On some, I remember pulling yes. up to farms when I did do farm bedding, which was a long time yes. ago, but it still sticks with me. And there was at least one place where you couldn't open the door because of the geese. I but see. I imagine if a duck was the size of a horse. It would be even more scary than those geese that were quite angry yes, and would just like it wasn't a, it wasn't the dogs on the farmyard that you had to worry about. It was the geese. Oh, I see. Brilliant. Okay, well, not brilliant, but <laughs> random yes, story, I, I, you know. <laughs> I, no, I I can see how that can be scary. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 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 that's good. Uh, I'm leaving the, maybe the the best for the end, and this is drawing because you talk to me a lot of drawing. You have. Um, when you were little, you you went to art school. Is that right? Uh, no, I did art at school. Um, I see. Up until AES level, I don't know if that's uh-huh. what they're called I anymore. Don't what, I don't know. I studied in Spain. Yeah, so yeah that's fine. So until I was seventeen, uh, okay. I guess. Okay. And then, uh, then for my final year of school, I didn't do it anymore, and I did just science because that's what you're supposed to do, or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it then, but then it kind of got left by the wayside. Um. Um. For studying and all the other things that come with that, and then working. Um. And yeah, I just got back into it on. When I worked on the island with the sea lions, um, I see. Because yeah, my family sent me a notebook, and it said, "Please return this full of sketches from your life on the island." Wow. Um, yeah. Um, um. Yeah, I think they wanted to encourage me to go back, you know, pick up something I used to enjoy. Um, yes. And yeah, I fill. I didn't fill it all while I was on the island, but. And most of it, and I finished filling it after I got home um, and posted it back to them. Um, And that kind of just started something new. And I was like, oh, this is actually really fun. And I just kept drawing some more. Um, And I thought, oh, this, you know, this collection of drawings and sort of notes and scribbles from this whole, like, crazy experience that, you know, most people would never get to go to this place um, ever, let alone spend two months there. So, um, yeah, I thought, oh, this is quite a cool way to share experiences. Yes, it um, is. And and you made it to um to a magazine called New Zealand Avalanche Dispatch. Yeah, yeah. So like, you the, you, your picture is the front cover, isn't it? Yeah, one of the issues. That is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's a fairly small magazine, but uh, I mean, it's still a magazine, and I really enjoyed it. It was really exciting working with the editor. He was really really excited and like enthusiastic, so it really motivated me to like keep going. 
Um, so I really appreciate his support, actually. He was super encouraging. Um, and yeah, and since then, I've had an article in the, um, Alpine, the New Zealand Alpine Club Journal as well. Um, oh, which was, which I'm also quite excited about, but that one isn't available online. Um, but oh. I might be sharing some of the drawings from that on Instagram. I hate to say that I have that, but you know. <laughs> What's, we'll put your Instagram link in the, in the side, but what, yeah. what is it? Oh, the, my Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the moment it's, uh, Nia on the Neve. Yes. Um, and the Neve is kind of the new snow that's at the top of the glacier that goes into forming yes. the glaciers. Um, yes. because that's the kind of place I like to be. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, my drawings now, like since after coming back from the island, is sort of more of my mountain adventures and sort of alpine trips yes. and mountaineering yes. trips, ski trips. Um, yes. And for that magazine article, actually, I looked back at old photos from from my travels and kind of wanted to make a selection of some drawings yes. from New Zealand trips and some from elsewhere. And it was pretty fun to look back through old photos. Um, and some of them were taken on a really old camera, cheap camera that, that, you know, the photo itself wasn't that great. But between that photo and the way like my memory of it and my memory of how it felt being there, I could make something better out of it. Yes. Um, yes. So. It, it's quite interesting. And I, it, it will be, I have to change it a little bit, but one of the ones you sent me, uh, it'll be the artwork of your episode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's so, really cool. Exciting. Yeah, <laughs> make it really cool. Probably it will stand up quite a bit. So, um, yeah. How, how long it takes you to, to do a drawing, to, you know, how long um, does it take? It really depends on, it depends on a lot of things, I guess, but a few hours for like maybe a smaller a hours, A4 one without a lot of detail. Yeah, but then I could also spend like two days or more on one, on an A4 if it has a lot of detail. Um, yes. Or if I'm just in the right mood, I'll just disappear and then it's done when it's done and I just lose track of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this summer I did one sort of A3 size drawing to enter into an art show. Um, yes. And if, you know, for doing something like that, then I want to make it as good as I possibly can and, you know, super, super detailed. Um, I had a lot of fun with that one, actually. So it's, you know, it's just a drawing of a section of a ridge that's very dramatic with lots of really interesting you know angles and sort of rock yeah. and ice fields and ice walls sort of mixed together and so it was all about trying to get the textures really obvious so you look at it and it almost looks 3d um yeah i see so that took you know i spent hours and hours and then left it for a while and then came back and spent another half a day making it even better <laughs> um, okay. so it varies a lot and like you know sometimes it'll you know if I'm just making something to share on social media maybe it would be just a short one or a sketch something more simple but it just depends on timing and what I where I am, I am and how much time I've got I, I know nothing about drawing is there any specific 
category of material that you, your drawing fits into? Um, don't know. I think because I'm just like making it up as I go along. Yes. <laughs> I I mean I use um, ink on paper mostly. I'm just yes. drawing in ink and then adding color with um, watercolor pencils or um, crayons or um, yeah, mostly those. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure, and I'm like, I don't know whether it's sort of some more than a sketch, I suppose, but okay, maybe I'd just happy. call it a drawing. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> or illustration, maybe. Well, should we just put some in the side, in the website, and then people can make their mind of which category your drawing fits into? Yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, um, one more things to, to tell you. Um, uh, maybe you already answered this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's the worst thing of being a vet? What's the worst? Actually, you know, I think like the thing that's been the worst for me is um, getting sort of feeling judged or pressured by people, like by peers and colleagues, and I people see. like the profession in general being seen differently for being interested in other things outside of clinical practice. Okay, have you and you feel like that in your? position now no but in the last few years in particular I mean I you know I understand the point of view that you're like oh this person doesn't want to stay in vetting forever they may be less invested um but you know to say things like oh you're interested in research and you know epidemiology or wildlife health but but you're so nice to the clients <laughs> So if you like to study, you probably um not 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 very nice. To, I was going to say um, a rude word. Um, so if if you're studying studying, then you're not supposed to be um nice to people. Yeah, or something. I was like, well, yes. you know, I do like people, and I'm good at doing my job. You know, I'm not I'm not leaving because I'm really terrible. I mean, I've never been like amazing but you know I do a good job and I like people and you know I had other places say you know they'd be like oh can you do a locum shift and I'm like oh actually no I'm not I'm not vetting anymore I'm going to study for a while um, and you know and they say oh you know that's a shame because the clients really like you and I'm like yeah but you know just leave me be like let me do yeah. what I want yeah. Um, and I guess that's kind of surprising because you expect it from the public and just people in general, obviously, you say, oh, maybe I don't want to do vetting in the traditional way forever. Yeah. The first response is always, oh, that's such a shame. Yeah. And, it shouldn't be. And yeah, I mean, I should just ignore that. But, it, you know, I learned to ignore it from the general public. And then when you start to get digs and, you know, things from peers and people in the community you're just like oh that's a bit sad because 
I don't know. I think people should be encouraged to go and just experience other things Explore outside other of interest, Japan, yes, even um, if it's just for a short while. Because I've learned so much more about myself and what I like in a job, what I want from my work, what I really enjoy when, by being, trying different things. And yeah. I think if I, you know, if I ever decide I want to work in a clinic again, I think I would cope with a lot of the things that used to stress me out a lot better, having gone and sort of gained perspective. Yeah, I, f- I think that's that's really important because one of the, the problems sometimes we see is that we feel a mm. little bit, you know, clinical uh, world. You feel like squared into something uh, and thinking there is no life outside that. Yeah. And like even just to go do something different for a day, anything. Like I picked beetroots for a day once. That was fun. <laughs> um, but even that, just I don't know. I think it should be encouraged or valued if someone wants to try different things. And it doesn't mean yeah. that they're going to go off forever. But if they do want to go away and do something else forever, then let them do that. Yeah, it should be encouraged rather than frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I get that. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking part in, in my show. That's okay. It's been quite it's been fun. Really, <laughs> it's been really nice to have you. <laughs> and this is it for today. Did you enjoy this episode? If you have any comments or reviews about it, don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjazabet.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the donate button. You can do it for as little as one pound. Hasta la próxima.